Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of Truth to Power with me, your guest host, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station, Forward Radio, WFMP Louisville, broadcasting from high atop the historic Hayburn Building in downtown Louisville at 106.5 FM and live streaming wherever you are in the world at forwardradio.org. And while you're on that website, please click participate. We want to get your voices behind these microphones. This is radio for the people, by the people, and we would love for you to be some of the people that we highlight here on Forward Radio. Either as a guest on a program like this, we'd love to be in conversation with you here on Truth to Power, or doing your own program, either a one-time access hour or maybe a, a new weekly program on our station. Plenty of room for the community here on Forward Radio. That's why we built this station, and we'd love to have you. We also rely entirely on listener contributions, and we are listener-sponsored. So you can go to forwardradio.org right now. Click donate, chip in whatever you can. $20 a day is all it takes to pay the bills around here and keep this great community treasure broadcasting 24-7, 365. So maybe you could sponsor this day's broadcast with uh, 20 bucks right now at forwardradio.org. Well, what we do here on Truth to Power each week is bring you community conversations like you won't hear anywhere else. And today I'm really excited to bring you a conversation that was hosted by the University of Louisville with Lane Boldman, Executive Director of the Kentucky Conservation Committee, uh, which is really the voice for the environment and sustainability in Frankfort, Kentucky. Uh, they are a f- organization formed to provide a collaborative space for citizens and organizations to come together over shared goals on critical conservation policy issues and to make change happen. That means that they do lobbying and keep an eye on the legislation that is put forth in Frankfurt every year. And so we're going to get an update on the legislative session that is taking place right now in Frankfurt uh, and opportunities for you as citizens to weigh in about this legislation. Uh, Lane is going to share with you today some uh, wonderful ideas for bills to watch out for and to submit comments on. Uh, At this point in the program, though, I do need to make clear that those opinions are those of Lane and the Kentucky Conservation Committee, our guest here on the program today. They do not represent the opinions of Forward Radio or our board of directors. We do not take any positions on particular pieces of legislation, but we do take a position on having an informed electorate and informed citizenry. And so that's why we have guests on like Lane Boldman. Uh, She was a guest of the University of Louisville Sustainability Council's Sustainability Roundtable. It's a wonderful virtual event that's held every other Tuesday at 4 p.m. And you can always go to louisville.edu slash sustainability uh, to check out the upcoming speakers in the Roundtable series. It's a really great opportunity to be in dialogue with some of the most important and influential thinkers in our community on sustainability. Uh, People doing great research, whether it's about legislation or all kinds of other topics uh, that runs the gamut at the Sustainability Roundtable. So uh, keep keep up with those at louisville.edu 
slash sustainability. This particular conversation was had back on January 31st. Uh, so uh, in this little recess period before the legislators come back to Frankfurt next week, uh, this is a great opportunity to get up to speed on what has already been uh, put forward as legislation this year and what is likely to be put forward. And we really encourage you to stay informed and to learn more. You can definitely get a whole bunch of great resources about uh, how to do citizen lobbying and what are the uh, legislative issues before uh, the legislature this year. You can learn all of that at kyconservation.org. Uh, and they even have a, a wonderful sign up for text alerts feature so that uh, you can be kept up to brace on up to speed on what's going on in Frankfurt. Uh, and that's all at kyconservation.org. But with no further ado, I'm going to turn it over to uh, the host at the University of Louisville, Dr. Tamara Sluss, uh, who hosts the Every Other Tuesday Sustainability Roundtable to uh, introduce our guest for the week, Lane Boltman from the Kentucky Conservation Committee here on Truth to Power. I wanted to welcome everyone to today's Sustainability Roundtable Seminar. Today we have Lane Boltman, who's the Executive Director for the Kentucky Conservation Committee. They are an advocacy group in our capital in the Commonwealth in Frankfurt. For those not familiar with Kentucky Conservation Committee, we're a 501c4 direct advocacy nonprofit. That means we can do unlimited lobbying for Kentucky's land, air, and water, and we've been doing that since 1975. And, uh, and what we do is we work with partner groups to provide them lobbyists and legislative services. So if you're a part of a nonprofit uh, and you don't do lobbying as part of your core work, we're glad to do that for you. So we provide a dedicated, consistent, and organized lobbying presence in Frankfurt on conservation issues. We review the state, uh, the state's committees inside and outside of the legislative uh, session, and we focus on a couple of core areas, biodiversity, land conservation, clean energy, and climate change. So this session is a 30-day uh, session. Uh, the legislative sessions are either 30-day or 60-day depending upon whether or not there's a budget. So the longer sessions are when there's a budget to uh, address. So this is a short session, begins on January 3rd and ends on March 30th. It's very short. So just to give you an idea of how fast things happen here, it started on January 3rd, then they met for just a few days, and then they recessed from January 9th through February 6th. So they're in recess right now. They'll come back in on February 7th, but by February 21st, they're going to have to have all their Senate bills filed. And by the 22nd, they're going to have to all their House bills filed. So I anticipate that between the 7th and the 21st, 22nd, I'm going to be very busy. And then there's a couple of days for what we call concurrence. That's March 15th and 16th. That's if any bills that have made it all the way through have any differences between the House and Senate. And then the governor gets a period of time to do vetoes which is a little challenging right now because we have a supermajority that can override any veto of the governor. And then, uh, then we have a couple days to address veto bills. So uh, the legislative makeup right now, we have a Democratic governor, we have a Republican supermajority in the House and the Senate, 38 senators. We have two vacancies in the Senate. Um, there's a special election, one in February, one in May for those. 
And then we have 100 House members, which consist of 80 Republicans and 20 Democrats. So the session's priorities so far have been tax reform, juvenile justice reform, funding for veterans. And as they keep saying, they want to return to a traditional short session, which means they're not going to do a bunch of crazy stuff. Now, that is all open to interpretation. That can change between the 7th and the 21st. So the issues we're trying to watch are electric car charging fees. There's no bill yet. Challenges to environmental social governance investing. There is a bill coming on that. Solar siding. I'm aware that there's a bill probably coming on that. Uh, energy democracy. That's kind of a, a overall bucket for anything that uh, involves you know increasing your rights as a customer of the utilities. Um, there is one bill, HB 66. We'll talk about that in a minute. We're working on wildlife corridors, and I'll go into that a little bit. And then just general uh, information, implementing new federal funding that's come through uh, the Biden administration uh, through the Investment Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Bill and other big pots of money. So some of the highlights, I'll just go over some of the, some of the key bills. Uh, only a few bills have been filed so far in the short session. They were only in four days. So we've identified 24 that have environmental justice or sustainability concerns to date, where they impact voting rights. And then we anticipate a significant wave, wave of bills between the 7th and the 22nd. So here's the good bills that we're most pushing on, some of the highlights. House Bill 66, we have this down to strong support. We we have a, a full board that reviews all the legislation, and we have uh, an attorney colleague of mine, Randy Strobo, that uh, gives it a legal overview. And then we uh, put a position on bills, either strong support, support, monitor, oppose, or strong oppose. So this is one that we really support, and we'd really like people to chime in on it right now because it's actually been filed. But it's House Bill 66. Uh, I like this bill a lot because it has bipartisan co-sponsors. Uh, Wilner's a Democrat in Louisville. Bridges is a Republican out in Paducah. The bill makes it more difficult for utilities to disconnect services during extreme weather and summer temperatures. And it requires a hardship reconnection in order for persons at risk who have had service terminated by the utility and requires the Public Service Commission to issue an order setting forth any applicable rules and procedures. So what we'd like to do, um, here's the current rules for what the Public Service Commission may do in utility shutoffs. They're allowed to do disconnects for dangerous conditions when ordered to terminate immediately by a governmental office for noncompliance with state and local codes or for Ill illegal use or theft of service. So the reason this is coming up now, well, you all live through the sub-zero weather that we had in Kentucky right around the Christmas holiday. On December 23rd, Kentucky Utilities, Louisville Gas and Electric announced they were implementing rolling blackouts, citing the extreme cold temperatures and high energy demand. Uh, there was also pressure on Tennessee Valley Authority and a couple of the other uh, uh, grid networks. So, uh, and that came up on Christmas Eve, so it was a really inconvenient time. About 43,000 Kentuckians were impacted at one point. Uh, and we're without power just for a couple days. But, you know, if you have medical devices or things that you need to maintain, that is really inconvenient and could be life-threatening. So what can you do? So as I said, this bill has bipartisan co-sponsors. 
We're asking folks to contact your House of Representatives and ask them to co-sponsor HB 66. The more co-sponsors we can show for this bill, the more it gives it momentum and the more uh, it reflects interest from the public. So uh, unless Wilner or Bridges is already your rep, we suggest you call the message line at the Legislative Research Commission. Tell them you want to leave a message for your representative. They'll direct you to the right representative. Okay, and just tell them, ask them to co-sponsor it. And that's something you can do right now, even though they're out of session. They'll be back on the 7th. So there's a couple other bills. These are ones that came up before. A lot of times it takes several times to post a bill before it moves anywhere. But this is a pair of bills that are both addressing black lung. Uh, we also have these down as strong support. It was filed by a uh, Eastern Kentucky Democrat, one of the only one left, I think, in the House. Uh, and it, uh, it, the, t- the two bills together removes the requirement that an affected employee previously diagnosed with black lung, oc- occupational pneumocosis, uh, resulting from exposure to coal dust, must have an additional two years of employment in the Commonwealth. So they put restrictions on uh, what you had to go through to apply for black lung benefits. And that was HB 121. This would remove that. And then HB 122 was a restri- uh, reverses a restriction that came into play because it required certain kinds of doctors to diagnose black lung. And, of course, generally those kind of specialists are uh, people that tend to work for the coal company. So, um there shouldn't be restrictions on the kinds of specialists that uh, are um, diagnosing this condition. So what we're asking people to do on both of those is they need more co-sponsors. So you ask your representative to co-sponsor these two bills, HB 121 and HB 122. Okay, Uh, this one is really good. Now, it probably isn't going to move anywhere, uh, but it was filed by Louisville's Representative Raymond. And we really like it. It provo- proposes a new section of the state constitution to have the right to a healthy environment, including clean air, pure water, ecologically healthy habitats, air, water, flora, fauna, climate, public lands. I mean, what's not to like about this? And yet, for some reason, this is considered controversial. But, you know, getting some more co-sponsors on this would certainly emphasize that there is an interest. So please make note of that one. And then uh, Senate resolution, and this is more of a ceremonial resolution, uh, it's adjourning the Senate in honor of Wendell Berry. So they're probably going to pick a day where Wendell or somebody representing that family will come to the Senate and they'll be honored uh, on the floor. So but it has some lovely language in it if you'd like to read it. Uh, you can find it on Kentucky Conservation Committee's bill list, uh, which is on our website. Now, Here's the worst bills that have already been filed. This HB 50 and SB 50, it's a pair of bills. They're the the same. Um, But it is requiring the county commissioner, city mayors, and legislative body members in all city offices, soil and water conservation offices, to have a partisan primary or partisan election. Now, we do weigh in on certain bills that um, we think impacts general democracy. We think most people are not in support of more partisan elections. So we really would like people to call in your opposition to these bills. We've also, uh, I live in Lexington. I know that the that the Lexington Neighborhood Association members have all been alerted to this. They're all weighing in. I think the same is happening to some degree in Louisville. 
Um, but you might want to spread the word about these. Um, your council members should be paying attention to this. So we're going back to a few good bills. These are these are some basic bills that we don't think will really move, but we don't we don't know. We'll see. Uh, Representative Raymond, HB 59, allows for citizen referendums, ballot initiatives. She's a Democrat, so in a supermajority, that's likely not to move. But I appreciate her filing that again. Uh, also, Representative Kolkarni for HB 94 establishes a healthy soils program and funding. Uh, great little bill. Um, again, uh, when they're filed by Democrats, uh, they may not even move in a short session, but that doesn't mean you don't weigh in. The more you weigh in, the more it builds momentum in the long run. Uh, HB 97, this is more of a voting rights bill, uh, restores voting rights for certain felons on completion of their imprisonment. Uh, HB 59 and SB 28, we thought these were both good for supporting small farmers. So it'll, uh, the first one allows certain USDA exempted poultry processors to sell to end consumers on farms, farmers markets or roadside stands. And uh, SB 28 allows small farm winery to sell and deliver up to 30,000 gallons of wine. So just make note of those. Here's some that we really don't like, but we uh, we don't think they're probably going to move, but you never know. Uh, HJR 8, it's a joint resolution, um, allows for a calling of the Convention of States under Article 5 of the Constitution for term limits. Now, I've talked to several people about this, um, people that are fans of term limits, but may not understand what the implications are of calling for them through a convention of states. Basically, what that is, is you can change the Constitution if you have a certain number of states that have called for a convention. And so there's been this very aggressive, and it got started by the Tea Party years, years ago, but, but this very aggressive campaign to have more states call for conventions. So while it says it's about term limits, it's really more about the calling of the convention of states because once you do that, you can make any changes you want to the Constitution. You, you can't, it, it doesn't necessarily limit it to just term limits. So we're keeping an eye on that. We generally don't support those bills because that's just not the best way to address term limits. And then we have HB 40. This is uh, just making administrative regulations more cumbersome, the process more cumbersome. Uh, allows the attorney general to weigh in or overrule a regulation once it's been decided. This one's kind of interesting, HB 74. And this a bill like this has been filed several times, but it's about local water fluoridation programs. And it's asking for programs to be optional. You know, some of these smaller water companies may for various reasons, be debating whether or not they're going to fluoridate their water. And we looked at it, we looked at some of the current research on the issue. There are some situations where children can have stained teeth if they have too much fluoride, if they're very young children, uh, if you've over-fluoridated um, certain water systems. But uh, on the whole, we thought that the benefits outweighed the challenges. So we're against this one. And then HB 100 creates a new Constitutional Enforcement Committee of the Legislative Research Commission to refer a federal action or global organization to the Attorney General or U.S. Congress to take action if it doesn't like what it, it's asking for, which is kind of silly because um, the Attorney General has no power over the U.S. Congress. The state Attorney General has no power over the U.S. Congress or international law. 
Now, there's several bills we haven't seen yet, but we're expecting them to show up any time. This one is pretty much a sure thing. We uh, heard this talked about in a session earlier this week. Uh, Representative Mills is going to file a bill about ESG investing. And for those of you who came to our conference that we had last week, we talked quite a bit about ESG investing. It's basically socially responsible investing. ESG stands for environment, social, and governance. So it's, it's ethical investing. So we expect this to be filed when the session returns. This has been part of a coordinated campaign. It's not just Kentucky that's been looking at this, but several states have uh, filed ESG bills, anti-ESG bills, and also there are lobbying groups that have gone in and tried to train the attorney general in certain states and also uh, the treasurers on how to go after these companies. But basically, this is a follow-up to a bill that was passed last year, Senate Bill 205, which allows the Attorney General and Treasurer and others to go after certain companies working within the state who have a policy of fossil fuel divestment or anything else that fits into that ESG category, but that's that's generally the main target. Um, that bill implied that investment firms were colluding to force fossil fuel companies to transition to clean energy, and that's not necessarily the case, but if the state has determined that that's happening, then they can produce a list and basically tell the companies that uh, they cannot do any business with the state entities. So the treasurer recently came out with a list of 11 companies that she determined were biased against fossil fuels. But there is backlash to this. The, the Kentucky Bankers Association has a lawsuit against the state right now on this very issue. Right, so the Attorney General and the uh, state treasurer have been implementing the law. U.S. Representative Andy Barr has also been trying to do the same on the federal level, uh, impacting federal pension plans. The Kentucky Bankers Association has sued. But if you go to our website, we have a page on our website that's from our conference, but it's called uh, Legislative Resources for 2023. And you can download a report that we obtained from ESI Consulting, which shows that these kind of actions in Kentucky could cost the state anywhere from 26 to $70 million. Uh, and it has been backfiring in other states, too. The states that have um, done, done some of these actions early, uh, it started with Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis and uh, Texas Governor uh, uh, Abbott. Okay, so another thing we haven't seen yet is confirmation of the public service commissioners. Last session, there was a really odd exchange um, the Public Service Commission normally has three commissioners that are appointed, uh, two of them are appointed different years, um, one uh, is already continuing, um, but there were two commissioners that needed to be confirmed last legislative session. The governor can appoint them, but then they need to be confirmed by the Senate. So last session, uh, the two people were up for appointment last session from the Senate, and the Senate refused to confirm one of these commissioners and then allowed the second nomination to die without action. And that left the Public Service Commission with only one commissioner. Now, why they wanted to do this, we're not quite sure. We have some speculation, um, but it certainly left the Public Service Commission in a really compromised position with only one commissioner. In some cases, there were questions whether or not that person could move forward with any work at all. 
but it was determined that the rule said that they could move forward with just one commissioner because uh, one commissioner is a majority and they could move with the majority. So one commissioner had been operating most of last year. Um, we had a new commissioner appointed uh, by the governor, Mary Pat Regan, but she has not yet been confirmed. So unfortunately, these uh, PSC commissioners can can be working for the PSC, but if the Senate doesn't confirm them, then they, they lose their job right away. So unfortunately, Mary Pat, uh, you know, had to uh, take the risk that she may not be able to continue, but we'll see how that goes. So we're, we're expecting something to come up this session related to that. So just a quick review of getting to know your legislator. If you're, uh, if you don't know your legislative representatives, uh, senators, um, real quick, you can find the information pretty easily on the Legislative Research Commission website. Uh, you can find there's a there's a page for each lawmaker. Uh, on the Legislative Research Commission website, you can learn their district, their birthplace, their religion, what they do for a living, what their education is, what their affiliations are, what their length of service has been. You can also learn what committees there are. This, this person was on agriculture, banking and insurance, health and welfare. We tend to watch the ones that involve agriculture, natural resources, tourism, because we cover the state parks, things like that. And you can also get their mailing address or their phone number or their uh, mailbox. Um, these are all uh, straight to the Capitol, but that's not a problem. You can contact them through those uh, channels. And then you can also uh, go to the side of the page. It, it will show you a list of bills that they have sponsored or co-sponsored, which is really interesting if you're looking at a history of someone's voting record. Like if somebody consistently sends up voting rights bills or Article 5 bills or things of that nature, because it's usually the same people that do that. So it's real easy to contact your legislators. You can go to the, there's a main legislative message line uh, that's here. The lines are open 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. Monday through Thursday, 7 to 6 on Fridays, or you can send an email. All those are on their bio pages, but there's a standard formula, first name, dot, last name, lrc.gov. Sometimes it's great to write a personal letter or tell a personal story. And you can visit them in person. And anymore, you can also make appointments by Zoom. Or the best thing is to visit them in their home districts when they're out of session. So like right now, it's a great time to visit um, them in their home area if you're in the neighborhood. And show up at public meetings. And when you visit, you know, you want to know what bill you want to talk about. And don't go in with a whole bunch of items on the list. Just think about two or maybe three, what the bill number is or the issue is, if there's not a bill number yet. Tell a personal story of why it matters to you, like the, the shutoffs bill, HB 66. If you're if you were inconvenienced by those shutoffs, you need to say what it did for you. And then make sure you get some kind of commitment. Can I count on you to support or oppose this bill or can I count on you to co-sponsor this bill? And then, you know, give them a leave-behind sheet. Don't give them tons of information. These guys get bombarded with this stuff. So just a one-pager uh, and be courteous. Even if they seem like somebody who is not at all interested in environmental issues, be polite. Um, they're the ones that make the decisions. Yeah, don't come in with a chip on your shoulder. You really need to it's, – it's tough because a lot of the people I work with are activists, and it's very – Tough for them to hold um, their frustration in check if somebody disagrees with them. 
like I said, don't bring large amounts of reading material. Don't exaggerate about your issue. When it comes to environmental issues, the facts are usually uh, impactful enough. And don't cite what you're not sure of. If you don't know the answer, say so and say that you'll follow up. And there's other ways you can participate, particularly since COVID. The Legislative Research Commission has gotten a lot better about uh, broadcasting everything. It used to be that only Kentucky Educational Television was broadcasting the meetings, and they only had so many camera crews. So when you got into the busy part of the session, um, sometimes they didn't have enough camera crews to go around, and certain meetings might not get covered. And uh, But they kind of addressed that over COVID. Um, they now have a YouTube channel as well, and they've upgraded a lot of their um, cameras in the in the conference room. So now you can usually find a meeting either on KET or on the YouTube channel. And then we have a regular bill list. We put new bills up every week, uh, and we have a newsletter. So if you want to subscribe uh, to our alerts, we will um, inform you every week about the new bills. Now, since this is a short session, Things can move really quickly. Sometimes a bill that starts out as good gets an amendment and it ends up changing to something bad. So in that case, we're also starting to uh, ask people if they would like us to send them text alerts on certain bills. We've got that on our homepage at kyconservation.org. You can sign up for that. And we'll only send those during the session. But one bill I didn't mention that I'm expecting is uh, we had a bill last time that was trying to address large-scale solar. We had two bills last time that was trying to address large-scale solar because um, there's now up to 39 projects in various parts of the state um, that are going through a process of approval. And that issue kind of goes cuts both ways for some environmentalists, ones that are more interested in farming issues or very concerned about these large-scale solar farms, ones that want to see more clean energy, are more um, receptive to it. Um, we try to provide information on the pros and cons and just make sure that people are well-informed. We have a little booklet you can down download on our solar page that talks about best practices. But the bills that were filed last time ended up um, they were basically trying to address a couple of things. They wanted to codify in statute the rules for siting of these projects and also uh, how they're remediated, how they're cleaned up once your lease is over with. And uh, there were two competing bills, one in the House, one in the Senate. The House had momentum behind theirs, which we didn't think was as good a bill. Um, we would have still supported it, but we weren't real happy with it. it. It was just not the best written bill. And we much preferred one that was filed in the Senate by Paul Hornback, who really reached out to the farming community and tried to make sure that he got the right people on board. We were much more supportive of that bill. Um, but somehow the House bill went through first, made its way into the Senate, and then what happened was Senator Hornback ended up uh, taking that bill and amending it to his bill. So it became his bill. And at that point, the whole process just stopped dead. So uh, it, nothing passed. Uh, we expect the original bill to come back or some form of the original bill to come back this session. Just breaking in to remind you that you are listening to Truth to Power here on Forward Radio, and we're bringing you a special recording of the 
sustainability roundtable that took place virtually uh, hosted by the University of Louisville on January 31st. Uh, they host these roundtables every other Tuesday at 4 and they're open to the public. And the guest on January 31st was the woman you've been hearing from, Lane Boldman, Executive Director of the Kentucky Conservation Committee, giving us an update on what's going down in Frankfurt this legislative session. And just a quick reminder that her views are not those of Forward Radio or our board of directors. We don't take positions on particular pieces of legislation, but we do want you to be informed. And so we bring you back now to the Sustainability Roundtable at the University of Louisville, held on January 31st here on Truth to Power. So with that, I'll open up for any questions. Thanks so much, Lane. I have a few questions I'm going to start with. One, could you talk about the potential charges for uh, EV charging stations um, and how that's related to the gas tax, in case folks don't know? Thank you for mentioning that. So, so there was a law passed last session that added some fees to uh, electric vehicles, to hybrid vehicles, which I thought was dumb, and to um, to uh, chargers. Okay, um, chargers had a surtax of three cents a kilowatt hour, and uh, last session was a budget session. So, what lawmakers were trying to do was was get something down on paper that addressed this new and rapidly changing industry, but they also realized that they may not understand everything, and I think that uh, is a fair assessment. Um, They didn't understand everything. And so we uh, asked for help from the Evolve Electric Vehicle Group, who deals very directly with this kind of work. They're based in Louisville, uh, and also at the Tesla Owners Club of Kentucky. Um, to help help us sort out <clears throat> what's the right thing to do. We did manage to get two changes in that bill last session <clears throat> um, that were better, but still not where we wanted to be because we didn't have a whole lot of time to react uh, by the time that was filed. Um, the fees on electric cars were reduced. Um, I personally would like to have seen the hybrids taken out entirely because hybrids use gas. Um, But the issue is, you know, how do we make people pay their fair share for the maintenance of the roads? And we all agree that that should be happening. The question is, how is it equitable to internal combustion engine cars or not? And we didn't feel like these were quite equitable yet. So uh, we did get the fees reduced, but the charger issue was still very much a, a problem. And I would have liked to have seen the EV fees reduced even more to be equitable. Um, so we've had a continuing conversation. We we were we managed to get the implementation of uh, the charger fees extended, so they don't go into effect till next year. And so that means we have time this session to propose changes and cleanup um, that could be modified the next time there's a budget session. So we've had uh, a conversation with Evolve and Tesla about what they would like to see. We've got it written in a position paper, which you can find on our website under the legislative resources page. And uh, and we're making a plea to certain lawmakers. We certainly hit the head of Senate transportation and we hit the um, head of the budget committee on that. So um, we'll see what happens. We're going to do, we're trying to plan uh, on the short notice, we have a drive a lawmaker day at the Capitol 
where uh, a couple of the guys are going to bring their electric cars. We're going to invite any lawmakers that want to take a break outside uh, and take a spin in a Rivian or uh, a Bolt or something like that and learn more about this. Um, the problem with the chargers, the charger issue is that Evolve particularly has been um, really good about uh, installing chargers that are public chargers. And what lawmakers didn't understand is char uh, public chargers aren't metered. Um, so in order to record a tax, you're going to have to have a way to record it, right? So you're going to have to retrofit these guys with a meter. Well, I don't think anyone understood that or wants to do that. So we're hoping we can get that changed. And then also, uh, I brought Evolve in for the uh, discussion with the, the transportation cabinet on the transportation plan for electric vehicles because there's new federal funding for that. Um, it had to, You had to send in proposals by a certain point in time. Kentucky has been approved. I forget what the total they're going to get in the funds, but they're getting a certain amount of funds to start implementing their um, EV chargers. Uh, they're going to start primarily with major intersections, major highways, but they're going to work their way down uh, over the course of a couple years. But the point that we're raising to people is that the chargers that groups like Evolve put together are going to be low on the list. Uh, they're not going to get to community level chargers, small town chargers for quite some time. And so it, if you have this disincentive built in uh, by adding charger fees, that really works against what I think people are really wanting to see with this um, interstate charging plan. So, uh, so we've had a little more time to get that across to people. And we've got our fingers crossed. Um, since it's a budget issue, some of this may not be able to fully get rectified till next year, but uh, we're trying to get people to understand it right now. Well, and as you mentioned in the uh, annual summit, it's an equity issue. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Evolve has been installing chargers in places that, I mean, Wilmore, uh, you know, um, places that, you wouldn't think would be priority under any other program. Um, there's a couple of electric chargers there. Um, Eastern Kentucky, uh, they've been installing chargers. So there's not much in the plans right now that got approved for the federal funding that addressed these for quite some time. So what we've tried to get across to people is you're working against your own interests if you um, put these additional fees on the chargers or you, you allow those to remain. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't count towards residential chargers, like if you're able to have a charger in your garage, correct? Yeah, none of this none of this impacts uh, residential chargers, although there are new federal um, incentives for that. Right. So if you live in an apartment or uh, uh, don't have a garage or the ability to install a charger, then you're going to have to pay to charge in a public area, correct? I believe so. Okay. Are they, I think you, you mentioned that some of those chargers might be grandfathered in. Yes, to... there was a clause we were able to get in that grandfathered the chargers that had already been installed, but that doesn't address down the road um, how they address these, um, these uh, fees that would have to be metered later. So the guys that evolve, they basically, uh, it basically stopped their program, which is a shame because they've installed more chargers than anybody in the state, even more than LG and EKU. Uh, 
And so, you know, I, I think it's really shooting the whole goal in the foot. So we'll see if we can't get that addressed. I have a, another quick question. <laughs> And then I'll open up the floor a little bit more. I was wondering if you could tell us about the uh, the experience of the board members. I know, of course, that it's a collection of folks of different backgrounds. Could you let folks, uh, you know, participants today know what their backgrounds are? Yeah, we've been really lucky. One of the great things about Kentucky Conservation is we uh, usually don't have a lack of people who have either worked for state government or worked for city government. Now we're actually changing board members right now. So, um, but we've had people that have worked for um, Natural Lands Trust. We've had people that have worked for the Nature Preserves Commission. We've uh, had people that have worked for the state water uh, funds. Um, uh, our current president that will be changing over soon is a uh, political science uh, professor. Um, Tamara, you've been on the board, um, so you certainly have your experience. And uh, uh, it's it's a really great board to be a part of. It's very diverse. Um, we cover the whole gamut. Uh, we've got uh, a couple of people that are experts in outdoor recreation. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're always looking for new board members. We're, we're turning over one right now, but there's a couple of um, – we've got a flexible number on our board, so if you're interested – um, we can always use a couple more people to consider being on as appointees. I have to say, I learned a ton working with KCC. I feel like <laughs> I gained more out of it than you all gained from me being there. I feel like my role was finding places for annual meetings and <laughs> trying to bring students to you when it's I a, could. It's a real mix of talents. I mean, our president right now had different thoughts on some of the term limits issues than I would have had. Um, but convinced me. And uh, same with uh, some of the land conservation issues. You know, these are people that had direct experience, and so they're really good with um, uh, helping highlight the finer points. We've got one board member that uh, works at EKU, uh, heavy on the agriculture issue. So it's very, uh, it covers a pretty wide swath of expertise. Mm -hmm. And, and then I just wanted to mention, too, for uh, participants today that um, the difference between the strongly support and support um, and strongly oppose versus oppose is uh, Randy and uh, Lane actually lobby on the strongs um, to maximize their efforts. And those those status that status can change depending on the evolution of the bill. Correct. Yeah, we, we provide two lobbyists. We work with about a dozen uh, uh, environmental groups um, who contribute. We kind of work like a co-op, so they donate to us and, and we provide that lobbying capacity for them if they don't have their own lobbying program. And then, of course, we lobby direct for individuals as well. We've got a, a big mix of both. And, uh, and, you know, that's how we prioritize. Now, we will work on bills that aren't uh, the highest priority sometimes depending upon how our capacity is. But um, the ones that we have strong support and strong oppose, we're doing a lot of very active lobbying. Most times we're working on these well before the General Assembly starts. Um, a lot of these conversations have already been happening for several months. Well, and also uh, just to clarify too for folks that might not know 501c4 it's not t tax deductible so right. it is a little bit more difficult to get donations than a 501c3 
It is, but then there are there are groups that work with us that get a certain amount of 501c4 money as part of their budgets or their partnerships, and it's usually not enough for them to do much on their own, but we will uh, pool that and do that work for them. Okay. So I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of a co-op. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm Sorry. done. <laughs> Justin, you got your hand up. Hi, Lane. Thank you. Uh, I wonder if you've ever seen institutions of higher education in Kentucky get involved in lobbying any, in any way for anything sustainability related. Um, it, it comes up every time we do our, our sustainability reporting with STARS, are we doing public policy advocacy? And I, and I just wonder what that looks like if other schools actually do take positions on any legislation. Well, I can't speak for the environmental issues specifically. Of course, you know, there's, there's an environmental education uh, organization in the state. But uh, for sure, the teachers get involved in politics. I mean, the, the whole thing that was going on the last several years with an attack on teachers' pensions was one of the craziest times I've seen at the Capitol over several years. Um, those guys turned out en masse every day. I had to walk through a gauntlet of teachers um, on a regular basis um, because they were going to protect those darn pensions. So, um, so yeah, I mean, teachers get very active, and they also get attacked a lot. And, and the reason for that is they're a union. Unions tend to be attacked quite a bit. And you have to look at the underlying issues sometimes, like the socially responsible investing issue, you know, isn't just about how investors work, it's it's an attack by the oil and gas lobby. They know that um, oil and gas is on the way out. Um, they know that investors consider this a risky investment now. And there's genuine reasons for that. I was just reading through a Harvard study that was done a few months ago, just ran across that today, that confirmed what we already know, which is there's a real reason for doing socially responsible investing. It it's, has a value. And it's not just, you know, the woke politics of any particular thing. Coal and gas are a high-risk medium. Late, I wonder if that extends to public institutions of higher ed, because sometimes we are considered the government, a government agency, you know, not necessarily an agency, but an ex- we're public. Well, the way they're going after the, these ESG investments is through the state pension plans. So state workers are going to be, um, if the, the laws pass, uh, that's something that the lawmakers have some control over. So if lawmakers decide to put stronger rules against ESG investing for state pensions, they'll actually lose money. So this is through KRS, not KTRS? Uh, no, that I don't know. I don't, I'm not I'm not okay. a teacher, I don't know what the funds are, but but yeah. you need to be aware that that um, that's if you're a state worker of any sort or you are in the state pension plan, you need to be making some noise. Yeah, Kentucky Bankers Association is suing over this. Interesting. I can't wait to see that list of eleven companies. <laughs> we have it up on our website. If you go okay. to our resources page for 2023. We've got a lot of different tools on there, and we've got one-pagers on certain issues. And then if you're interested in doing a lobby day, now this session being short, it's going to be tough, but we also have stuff online that walks you through how to do a virtual lobby day. And if you get on our texting list, we can alert you to things very quickly. So you can either do it 
organized or unorganized, it's pretty simple to do. I'm so glad it's uh, many more things are virtual these days. It makes it much more accessible for lots of folks because Frankfurt's pretty far away from some places. Now, yeah. I know uh, Ryan Lloyd worked with you in the past, but um, would you want to kind of mention how a student might get involved? Yeah, actually, Ryan was really valuable. He was a student that Tamara found for me to intern. He'd interned with us about two years and uh, was really valuable in helping me keep up with tracking certain things because I've been tracking, you know, where the solar farms are, where the public hearings are. Um, one of the big issues that happened a couple sessions ago was on cryptocurrency mining, which is a kind of an odd topic, but actually has huge climate implications. And we've got a handout on that on our website. Um, but huge climate implications. And so he was helping me track a lot of that stuff. And he got a great job with the area development districts um, working on grants. Now that's been helpful because um, there's now a lot of new federal funding through the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and the um, infrastructure bill that groups like the area development districts have to deal with. And so one of the things we've got online on the resources page is a handout he put together on how you can work with your area development districts on projects to help move those along. Because what's happening is a lot of state agencies don't always have the capacity to move certain projects. And some of these, the grant monies are uh, local or for nonprofits. Um, but it's a huge variety of, of funds that are available. It's almost too much to digest. And uh, but, you know, getting familiar with your area development district rep, find out what they're already working on. If you're part of a nonprofit group um, and you find that there's work you're interested in that would qualify for some of these grants, it's good to make those connections. And same with the state workers as well. Like we're we're helping. Well, some of the federal funding for the EV plans, uh, we've been helping those groups with that. Uh, we've been working alongside the Oil and Gas Association on well plugging. Uh, we've been working with uh, Nature Preserves folks on um, there's dedicated funding for wildlife corridors. And uh, that's really specific money that needs to be implemented fairly quickly. And, you know, Kentucky has a couple of significant um, corridor projects through Kentucky Natural Lands Trust and the Nature Conservancy and Bluegrass Conservancy. So we've been trying to get the transportation cabinet to work with us on some of that, uh, framing it as a wildlife safety uh, or a vehicle collision safety issue. Um, because who wouldn't like to have less collisions with deer on the roadways? And some of the corridor implementation, it can be really simple. It can just be fencing or modify bridge replacement. When, when the floods happened in Eastern Kentucky, a hundred bridges, small bridges were lost. And wouldn't it have been great if we could have allocated some of that funding um, from that fund if we had just gotten our act together. So there's a lot of opportunities that people need to be looking for. And we have on our our resources page also a link to some highlights of what's in those bills. So look at them, talk to us. We're glad to work with anybody who's interested in any project that looks like it might fit. Yeah, and Ron actually developed his thesis from a project with KCC. So, okay. Lane, I wanted to thank you so much for your seminar today and, and all that you do. I know you're getting ready to get slammed here soon. Um, <laughs> but 
thank you again for doing this and you're one of the busiest times of the year for you um and i really like the co-sponsoring idea that's something that i haven't requested in the past so that's um, something you could do right now i mean oh, well. because they're on recess it doesn't mean that you can't impact a bill you know now's a great time before they get busy to send them a quick email or make a phone call phone calls probably better and tell them you want them to co-sponsor these bills. If you're not in the district of the current co-sponsors, you can always get more people to add on and tell them what it means to you. Okay, and everybody, if you get a chance, check out the uh, KCC website, kyconservation.org. Sign up for a text alert if you want. There's a a ton of resources and information there. Uh, And certainly go into a rabbit hole. (laughs) More than you need. All right. Well, thanks again, Lane. And we did record this so we can uh, send it out. Um, I know that uh, Justin will host it on louisville.edu slash sustainability under the roundtable link. All right. Y'all have a good evening. Stay warm. (laughs) And that is how things wrapped up at the January 31st Sustainability Roundtable hosted by the University of Louisville's Sustainability Council. They're held every other Tuesday online at 4 p.m. They're always free and open to the public, and you can learn more about the upcoming speakers in this wonderful public seminar at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Uh, On January 31st, our guest was Lane Boldman, Executive Director of the Kentucky Conservation Committee, keeping an eye on legislation uh, that is being put forward down in Frankfurt uh, every year and even this year during our short session. You can learn more about all of the issues that Lane brought up at kyconservation.org and you can sign up for text alerts and uh, stay informed and learn how to become a citizen lobbyist and have your voice heard uh forward radio does not take positions on any of these pieces of legislation we just want to share this information with you and we value uh the research work and uh, advocacy work that the kentucky conservation committee does so we bring that to you today and those views are entirely those of the kentucky conservation committee and lane boldman They do not represent those of Forward Radio or our board of directors. This has been a really wonderful Truth to Power. I hope you got a lot out of it and uh, learned something and are motivated to uh, share your voice with those in charge of our state down in Frankfurt. Uh, Now is certainly the time to put forward your views and to let your legislators know Uh, where you stand, uh, because that is how democracy works. It's not about uh, what happens so much in the voting booth. Of course, that is important as well. But keeping up with your legislators and and the pieces of legislation that they propose or uh, that are before them for a vote, uh, it's really vital that citizens remain involved in the process and share perspectives that perhaps those legislators aren't going to get anywhere else. You can imagine it's A lot going on in Frankfurt, a lot of issues on the table, and uh, legislators really value hearing from citizens who especially have done some of their homework or are personally impacted by the issues before the legislature. Uh, It is really vital that we share our views with them so that they can make the best decisions for us. 
And with that, we're going to wrap up our Truth to Power this week here on Forward Radio. Again, I encourage you to go to forwardradio.org to become a part of this station. You can always pitch us ideas, too, if you've got a, a topic that you'd really love to be part of a roundtable conversation on. We would love to have you here behind the microphones at Forward Radio. This is People Powered Radio, Social Justice Radio, Radio for the People, by the People. It's all volunteer run. My name is Justin Mogg. I'm one of the volunteers here at the station, uh, and I really enjoy sharing uh, these conversations with you and being a part of them. So go to forwardradio.org and contact us if you would like to get involved in any way uh, as a volunteer or a guest. Uh, and certainly chip in a few bucks to help keep us on the air. You wouldn't have heard this today if it wasn't due to the kind generosity of listeners like you in the past who've pitched in a few bucks to help pay our bills here at the station. Uh, we, we were not a fan. We're, you might think we're run entirely on uh, duct tape and chewing gum, but it's a little fancier than that, but not too fancy. And uh, we just have to keep the lights on and the rent paid and you all are the ones who are doing that and that's what keeps us independent and keeps us strong the voices of the community can be broadcast on this station because we are not beholden to any corporate sponsors or uh, wealthy benefactors it is really these small contributions from people like you chipping in a few bucks every day or every month uh, or every year to help keep us on the air. Uh, go to forwardradio.org, click donate today. Coming up on our sixth birthday in April. And uh, wow, you could give us a nice early birthday present today at forwardradio.org. We'd be so grateful and we would love that. All right, that's it for us here on Truth to Power this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back in your ears next week with another conversation like you won't hear anywhere else on your radio dial right here on Forward Radio. Be well. Cuando la tarde languidece, renace la sombra Basta